Please help us grow our audience by sharing this episode with your friends. Coast Range Radio is a production of the Coast Range Association. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Portland, volunteer-powered community radio. Tune in to KBU throughout February, every Tuesday at 7 p.m. for Black History Future Month, our special programming series in celebration of Black heritage. This series aimed to celebrate all aspects of the Black lived experience, from contemporary, political, and social issues to understanding how history impacts our present. Again, that's Black History Future Month, every Tuesday at 7 p.m. throughout the month of February, where you will hear interviews from Black creatives, artists, activists, revolutionaries, KBU hosts, musicians, and more, here on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. KBU Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kbu.fm. This month's development committee meeting will be held on Monday, February 26th at 4.30 p.m. The meeting will be held online through a public video conference. A public link and phone number to attend the meeting can be found on our website at kboo.fm. Please visit our website to verify if a meeting is being held. Hi, this is Melissa Lesniak, the creator and host of That Vegan Show. On That Vegan Show, you will hear in-depth guest interviews on vegan-related topics, such as companion animals, environmentalism, social issues, and food and nutrition. 
We also learn about specific animals such as possums and rabbits, including their needs and ways to help them. Be sure to tune in to That Vegan Show on the fourth Friday of the month at 11 a.m. right here on KBOO Portland. Rise them up, KBOO 90.7. You don't know it's your girl, Tasha T. Welcome to Labor Radio on KBOO Portland. I am Michael Cathcart. And I'm Ellie Gilland. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we get started, I want to let you all know that KBOO is in the midst of our All Thrills, No Frills winter membership drive. Did you know that KBOO has been on the air for 55 years, making us one of the oldest community radio stations in the country and one of the longest standing media institutions in Portland? And we've been able to remain a commercial-free, volunteer-powered resource for this community because of support from our amazing listeners and people like you. Uh, In fact, 80% of the station's funding comes from the generosity of our members. So if you can, please help us reach our goal of raising $22,000 by March 16th. Just go to kboo.fm slash give or text KBOO to 44321. We here at Labor Radio, thank you so much for your support. Uh, and now, uh, on to the topic that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, on this show, we've been documenting the upsurge in labor activism and unionization that's been growing uh, encouragingly since basically the start of the pandemic, but really even before then. Um, and we've also talked about Capital's refusal to, um, you know, their, their, sorry, their furious attempts to maintain control over their workforces uh, and basically like refuse to give at all on uh, unionization efforts or even to come to the uh, bargaining table with a lot of the the workforces that have agreed to unionize. And really, you know, wealthy U.S. corporations have fired union organizers. They've surveilled employees as they voted on forming a collective bargaining units uh, and even closed their own store locations just to penalize workers for unionizing. Um, but with the help of the of a friendly National Labor Relations Board, or NLRB, these union-busting efforts have largely failed to prevent the spread of union fever. So in response, uh, you know, capital has begun to deploy a new tactic aimed at essentially uh, making an end run around the entire concept of labor rights by attempting to use the courts to dismantle the federal agency tasked with protecting employees. The most recent such attempt came from e-commerce giant and frequent flyer on this show, Amazon, fighting several accusations from prosecutors at the NLRB that they illegally retaliated against warehouse workers who unionized. Last week, the company submitted a legal filing arguing that the board itself was unconstitutional. Amazon claimed it did not break the law by limiting workers' access to the warehouse, which the NLRB said last year was a transparent effort to quash union activity. Yeah, and in its filing, the company also claimed that uh, the structure, you know, this is a quote, the structure of the NLRB violates the separation of powers, uh, end quote, particularly the limits on removal of administrative judges and the five board members appointed by the president by impeding the executive power um, in Article 2 of the United States Constitution. So Amazon also, on top of that, argued that the case against them should be dismissed because it implicates the major question doctrine, which is a new principle followed by the current Supreme Court, 
And this doctrine essentially asserts that um, the court can uh, evaluate administrative rulemaking by agencies and determine if the rules they put forward fall within the authorities granted to them by Congress. Yeah, this essentially means that all rulemaking by core governmental institutions like the Department of Labor, EPA, FTC, etc., are fair game to be challenged in the courts. Yeah. And I think it really hammers on a point that we've talked a lot about on the show that, you know, while I think we can get really focused on Congress and the legislative body, right, and also the judicial system, but a gigantic part of what the executive branch does is, to the point you made earlier, appoint people to the NLRB, right? Yeah. And what the NLRB enforces and how it operates is very determined by the people that sit on it. Yeah. And, you know, under Trump, obviously, it still existed. It just was a very different body and its objectives were different. And so, you know, again, we talk a lot about, like, how much is at stake in these upcoming elections and things like this. But unions that are attempting to do their thing over the next couple of years are going to feel a really different pull, whether that's under a second term of Biden or a second term or a split up a second term of Trump. Right. <laughs> yeah. Trump's second term in 12 years. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's very true. Like the NLRB, the makeup of it is, you know, because, yeah, like under previous administrations, they would not have supported as much of a push towards unionization that we've seen in the last four years. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that, like, yeah, the 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 shift in in their the the board's support for labor has then led to this moment where now corporations, instead of just being like, well, we'll game the system and we'll you know, yeah. use them to, to quash unionization, they're now like, okay, well, that's not working. So we have to figure out a way to get rid of them entirely. Yeah, yeah. Like this NLRB is following the spirit of its creation yes. and it's not a friendly entity to these companies. And so they're, they're basically trying to figure out a way around it. And again, that is happening because of who sits in the White House, right? Like there are more important things than just, you know, signing and or, or vetoing bills that come up, right? There's, there are so many appointees and different things like this that are important to the executive branch. And obviously we've talked about that with all the judicial appoint, appointments that yeah. you know Trump made. But, you know, I, I do think the NLRB is a really another good example of that. Yeah, and one that you don't think about as often, I mean, unless you listen to this show regularly, one mm -hmm. that you don't really think about as often, but honestly might have more of an impact on the day-to-day -day life of working people in this country than, you know, many, most other people appointed yeah. by the federal government. Yeah. And, you know, so Amazon's filing follows more than uh, 250 NLRB complaints against its labor practices in recent years. Mm -hmm. They have racked up a, a lot of numbers there. They're a known entity, yeah. Yes, indeed, yeah. Like in, in 2022, employees at the company's JFK 8 warehouse in Staten Island, you know, famously won what was called a David versus Goliath victory by defeating Amazon's multi-billion dollar anti-union effort. Um, and they voted for uh, the formation of the Amazon Labor Union, or the AL ALU. Mm -hmm. And despite being certified by labor officials, that union has actually still not managed to bring Amazon to the bargaining table. Yeah. Um, which, again, is why they're kind of being called up in all these complaints. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That, like, that happened two years ago, and they still refuse to negotiate with the, in, you know, in, in good mm -hmm. faith with these workers. Um, yeah, and then a trial uh, on this case is actually you know, on Amazon's case is scheduled for the end of February. So we're coming up pretty quickly on, you know, the outcome of what actually might, you know, come from this most recent attempt to basically circumvent labor law in this country. But, you know, even though Amazon is an incredibly high profile uh, company and therefore anything they do in this field uh, will be very much, you know, a lot of eyes on that. They are far from being an outlier on this. Amazon is actually just 
or is one of the, the is the third corporation to make such a claim against the NLRB in recent weeks. Uh, and actually, in January, a lawyer for the supposedly progressive, you know, grocery chain Trader Joe's argued uh, in an NLRB hearing over union busting charges that the board is quote unconstitutional and quote including but uh, not limited to. Uh, the structure and organization of the National Labor Relations Board and the agency's administrative law judges. So, you know, Trader Joe's sued the, the uh, sorry, the Trader Joe's union sued their the grocer over illegal retaliation. And that's what brought them to have to, uh, you know, this hearing in front of the NLRB. Mm-hmm. And within that hearing, they then decided instead of <laughs> just dealing with the complaints against them in good faith, they decided to just claim a different tact and claim that the NLRB itself is unconstitutional and therefore they should not be hauled in front of them. Um, and of course, that claim came just weeks after aeronautics company SpaceX, owned by Elon Musk, uh, claimed that the NLRB's enforcement proceedings uh, violate the company's right to a trial by jury and violate its due process rights under the Fifth Amendment. A claim, of course, which was echoed word for word by Amazon's filing from last week. So it does seem to be that there is some coordination here. Yeah. If you're not only choosing this bold new tactic, you know, basically one after the other in quick succession, but even using the same like language in your your filing, it seems as if this is a coordinated attack by you know the ownership class against the very right to form a union, like the concept of it in general. And, you know, SpaceX's lawsuit, SpaceX's, <laughs> their lawsuit, which is, of course, championed by the Federalist Society and other conservative groups uh, and was filed in Texas by Musk's own attorneys with the union avoidance law firm of Morgan Lewis. I love that term, union avoidance, mm-hmm. as opposed to union busting. Um, but that, yeah, this lawsuit that was filed by Morgan Lewis in Texas came just one day after the NLRB accused the company of unlawfully firing workers in retaliation for an open letter that they'd written, uh, which raised concerns about Musk's behavior and also his insinuations that worker activity was being surveilled. So one day the NLRB brings a, uh, accuses the company of, you know, brings a complaint against them. And the next day, the, they they sue them for unconstitutionality. So interesting timing on that. And so on top of all that, following the an NLRB ruling that the company must rehire union activists in Memphis fired in retaliation for their own organizing efforts, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case brought by Starbucks, coffee giant Starbucks, uh, another frequent flyer on the show. And that case is concerning whether or not the NLRB has the right to ask courts to reinstate workers while litigation is ongoing. So, you know, unfair dismissal cases can take years to hear. Um, and the agency, which asked, which they actually, the NLRB reached out to the Supreme Court and asked them not to take on this case. Um, but they have argued that removing the power will have a chilling effect on union organizing, which it most certainly will. Um, of course, in response to the Supreme Court accepting to hear this case, uh, Starbucks released a statement that read in part, quote, we are pleased the Supreme Court has decided to consider our request to level the playing field for all U.S. employers, end quote, which I feel like is such a, an mm-hmm. insane thing to say, like level the playing field against the workers for employers as if the, the playing field isn't already completely skewed towards employers yeah. at this point. 
But, uh, you know, given the Supreme Court's conservative makeup and recent decisions uh, and opinions from some of the court's most right-wing judges, it is unfortunately very likely that the justices will rule in Starbucks' favor. Mm -hmm. That just seems to be the trend. Yeah, but, you know, I think taking a step back, you know, I, I, I would think a lot of this action is coming from the corporate side of things from what seems to me like a misunderstanding of kind of what unions are attempting to do. Because again, I, I don't think every union has the same amount of power or, or negotiating. And also at the end of the day, I don't think unions are trying to turn businesses into unprofitable systems, right? Of course not. Obviously some, some of right some of the things we've disrupted over the last couple of years we've clearly seen are are less uh profitable than really i think people imagined and now that growth and vcs are kind of changing what they expect that's changing but um I, I i really truly believe that this is coming at a misunderstanding even if you know the conservative core like we've been talking about even if they are going to pass this getting all of this to happen is so expensive right paying a form like or paying a uh, uh uh basically a consultant like morgan lewis to do this yeah and to take all of these actions right like you know <laughs> this is not something that uh, that that comes free, right? And so, you know, ha- you know, having employee turnover because of this, right? Like not having employees that are skilled who want to come into your business. Yeah. These are all things that you're going to pay for in the long run by just not agreeing to sit down at the bargaining table. Right. Uh, again, I think a lot of the wins we've talked about obviously have been great, but they haven't been gigantic wins to the point of like, you know, the unions are coming ahead with some massive victory that's going to cripple the organization. Yeah. It's like minor victories across the board that yeah. are kind of keeping a lot of the status quo or not allowing things to get worse. And so, again, I think a lot of some of the losses that companies are thinking about taking at the bargaining table are honestly less bad than fighting these unions and basically going against like pretty well trodden at this point constitutional like law. Yeah. Like the cost to them of just saying, okay, we're going to negotiate, sit down and negotiate in good faith with these workers yeah. and just find a way to make the union part of this this business model and and make sure that we have a stable workforce moving forward mm-hmm. would be far less than what it's going to cost to argue and probably have to continue arguing at the Supreme Court for the complete overhaul yeah, years. Of, of like 90 years of labor law, yeah, which seems crazy, but... That's the tact that they've seemed to uh, have decided to take. Yeah. Um, just quickly, uh, if you are just tuning in, you are listening to Labor Radio here on listener-supported KBOO Community Radio. We'll get back to our discussion about the recent legal attacks on the NLRB in just a moment. But first, I want to drop a quick reminder to please consider donating to KBU now during our winter membership drive. And after this show is done, be sure to check out some of the great All Thrills, No Frills special features we've got over at kboo.fm slash give. You can help us remain one of the longest standing media institutions in Portland by helping us reach our $22,000 fundraising goal. Donate today today at kboo.fm slash give or by mailing your donation to 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97214. Thank you for supporting Community Power Radio. And now back to our discussion here. Um, but yeah, so as as we were just talking about, it does seem like the tact that these companies are, and like corporate America in general, seems to be choosing to take is to just fully overturn established labor law mm-hmm. and make it unconstitutional 
to be able to have a federal agency that supports the right of workers to unionize rather than simply just deciding to negotiate with unions. Yeah. You know, so uh, uh, Seth Goldstein, who is an attorney who represents both the Amazon Labor Union and the labor group Trader Joe's United, uh, said this growing movement to dismantle the National Labor Relations Act is, quote, very frightening uh, and part of an emerging toolbox being used by anti-union law firms, specifically uh, Morgan Lewis. But, you know, there are a ton of anti-union law firms out there that are certainly going to take this uh, toolbox and run with it. Um, And in an interview with HuffPost, Goldstein said, uh, these new new legal filings are suggesting that workers don't have the right to organize at all. Uh, And he said that the filings are, quote, a direct attack on the American labor movement and workers' rights. They want to knock down the whole process and make it impossible for us to organize because if they success if they are successful in what they're doing, the board won't be able to issue any decisions, uh, and they're going for everything. End quote. And you know, given the proximity and timing and language of all of these cases, you know, coming basically within weeks or at most months of each other, being you know these cases being filed, uh, it does seem clear that this is a coordinated attack by the employer class. Like not only the fact that the, the proximity in time, but like the language that they're using is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And you know, they are, they are taking the same tactic. It does seem like they're choosing as a, you know, in, a, in an act of class solidarity to shift the approach from just stopping, trying to, to make it so that unions aren't able to get their contract, the first contracts negotiated to just trying to get rid of the concept of labor law altogether. Um, you know, so they've they've changed tactics and decided that since they can't defeat successful union organizing through propaganda or intimidation or like swaying public opinion against unions or even gaming the established legal framework, they now just want to destroy the whole process. Um, and as a uh, as Cornell law professor Robert Hockett put it, quote, capital unable to hold back labor any longer is arguing that the NLRB's very existence is unconstitutional. End quote. Um, and William Gould, who is a Stanford law professor uh, and chairman of the N- and former chairman of the M- NLRB from 1994 to 1998, said in, in an interview with The Guardian that, quote, the ramifications are enormous. Uh, the effect of this uh, is to make wrongdoers less concerned about engaging in misconduct because They'll be brought to justice. Uh, they will not be brought to justice in the foreseeable future. This will discourage unionization and discourage workers who are interested in unionization. End quote. So, you know, far from being a new trend um, in in you know the union busting world, mm-hmm. uh, this is actually basically just continuing on a fight that has been in place since basically the New Deal. You know, since the FDR administration. And it really shouldn't be any surprise that just as it was then during, you know, the, the FDR's time, the richest people in the country are behind this. Like, the you know, we're talking about SpaceX and we're talking about Amazon, who are owned by Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, respectively. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they are just carrying on a tradition that was there, you know. We saw the Rockefellers doing in the 30s and stuff like that. So, yeah. like, they're, they're, yeah, like it, is, it is interesting to point out that... Uh, in during FDR's the beginning of his administration and the beginning of the New Deal era, 
there was actually a like not only did they try and change laws, but the capitalist class tried to organize a coup using World War One vets to overthrow FDR's government and basically throw out the New Deal platform. It was called the Business Plot, and they tried to uh, convince uh, Medal of Honor recipient Smedley Butler, a former general to lead an army of vets to overthrow the government and in basically institute corporate fascism in this country. And luckily, Butler sounded the alarm. He had enough sense to say, like, this is terrible, and he made it public what was happening. But, like, in the 30s, they just tried to use guns to overthrow it. And now here in the in the 21st yeah. century, they're just using uh, legal means to do so. Yeah, and, I, I you know, obviously we, we are politically adjacent just because unionizing and uh like workers rights is a political topic but we don't you know we don't super dive into like the tactics or like the um you know day-to-day operations of like the political parties here in the united states but i do think it's important to call out that i do think a lot of this stuff is happening because of the gridlock in the legislative branch which was typically like where lobbyists like you know would throw kind of a lot of their weight around because it's so hard to like get any laws passed and do things like that Really, the judicial system is, you know, I'm sure other people could speak to it more if this, you know, has been in the past. But, you know, at least more recently, it is the path to large changes, right, in the country. And I think, you know, with the conservative lean to the board or to the uh, Supreme Court, excuse me, um, it it just opens up kind of the new battlefield where a lot of this stuff is taking place as opposed to like lobbying and kind of the more traditional ways we're used to it. And again, because it can happen so quickly... Uh, at least in political terms and things like that, it's you know it's it, it's a scary kind of frontier. At least that it feels like because um, you know a, a lot of stuff can get overturned, right? Like the hundreds of years of historical precedent and law can be kind of thrown out with like a decision that's going back on something else, right? Right. Um, and and so again, I think it's something to be super aware of, and uh, and makes it all the more important uh, that you know people who care about labor rights and the working class kind of show up here this year in November and kind of do their thing. Yeah. And, you know, because as you're saying, like we, labor rights were fought for and like people bled and died for, for so long to get to the point where at the, you know, at the great depression, they were able to convince basically like workers were able to force the hand of the government to establish the National Labor Relations Act and to establish the right to unionize and to put like codify labor protections. And basically since that moment, that has been the, the stated goal, you know, whether it's outright or not, it has been the, 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 the aim of the ownership class to basically roll that back and to attack it in any way possible. And, you know, if, 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 it were, if this were allowed to go forward and if it is going to be deemed unconstitutional, we're basically going to lose 100 plus years of like labor movement success mm-hmm. and, and hard fought successes. Yeah. Simply by the, the you know, the yeah. stroke of a pen from a judge. Here, yeah. So. And, you know, and obviously, right, like not that it's OK, but, you know, a lot of the stuff makes more sense in the context of the gig economy. And obviously, you know, we've talked about that so much. And, you know, we obviously feel that there should be more pushback on that than there is. Yeah. But, you know, to go over to go over FTE, like already organized union members, this is crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, right. And I think a lot of the quotes you read are, are really great. And obviously they're talking in more kind of political and business speech. But, yeah. I mean, to be targeting entities that are already unionized and questioning whether the NLRB should exist at all. 
these are bold tactics yeah. that unfortunately have real legitimate possibility to work. Yeah. Right. These are not far flung kind of, oh, it'll never work sort of thing. Um, you know, these people see an opening and they're running with it and it has extremely long running and horrible implications. Yeah. Like a a <laughs> a lawyer for a billionaire arguing that the labor the National Labor Relations Act is unconstitutional should make the hairs on every single worker's neck stand up. Yeah. Like that that should be a a red flag right there and the fact that I mean, you know, obviously like this is a developing story and it is certainly getting, you know, press and labor press. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think that this is getting even anywhere near as much attention as it should because yeah. we are, you know, if this is allowed to just slide and happen, then we're basically just getting rid of everything that we fought for. And I think it's important to understand that, you know, profits are at an all time high, yeah. right? And when, you know, you're a company like Netflix, right? Obviously they're not involved in this, right? But when you're hitting your market cap, right? Because you can't sell to more people. Yeah. The thing you target is things like overhead and things like that, you know? And so yeah. I think, you know, you know, just using that as an example, because I think it makes more sense, right? When everyone in America has a Netflix account, you can't grow anymore. Yeah. So you have to up your prices, right? Which we're seeing. And so we're seeing in these other things. And, you know, the, the constant search for double digit growth year over year and quarter over quarter, these things, you know, um, they're they're causing problems. Yeah. And uh, you know, don't let anybody tell you like unions are not what are causing problems. Profits are higher than they've ever been. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you have a business model that can't pay people a living wage, I might argue you don't have a business model. Right. And like, of course, you know, as as we said, like this just needs to get so much more attention because it is a thing that's really only gonna get it worse from here because you know, if the Supreme Court is already agreeing to hear this case. And, and they will certainly then be willing to hear other cases or the precedent they set down from this if it were to actually, you know, if, if their challenge, if the capitalist challenge would be successful. And that just sets precedent that every single, like, this is not only going to affect first contracts and like new unions, but that means that when, a, when a, an established union comes to the table and, and tries to renegotiate, the employers are just going to say basically like, well, we don't need to negotiate with you because yeah. this law doesn't like it's going to be overturned. So why would we negotiate with you now yeah. when, you know, potentially in the next administration, this might just go away? Yeah. Well, I mean, not being able to retaliate against unionized people is part of the only reason they exist. Right. Exactly. If, if a company could just fire everybody that tries to unionize, I mean, they're going to do that. Yes. And so um, and they kind of already do now. Even right. With the law like so, they're doing that. That's why these cases are from. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it, it is definitely it. It. it it uh, it looks like it could be a, a fairly dark uh, path that we might be heading down with this. So let's we'll be sure to keep an eye on this as we, mm-hmm. as it develops, and uh, we encourage all of you listeners and all you workers out there to to also keep an eye and to raise alarm bells about this because it certainly could be a dire situation if uh, the NLRB is declared unconstitutional. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, we are out of time, and so we'll leave it there. We will certainly pick this back up again uh, when the situation develops more. But thank you so much for tuning in to Labor Radio here. I have been Michael Cathcart. And I'm Ellie Gilland. Have a great night.
Hello, listeners. This is Karen James, a host of Prison Pipeline, with a reminder that it's KBOO's All Thrills, No Frills Winter Drive. We appreciate our listeners. So please show your support for shows like Prison Pipeline by donating to your community radio station. Just click on the donate button at kboo.fm. And from all of us at Prison Pipeline,